Let us join in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Amen. Thank you, Karen. We'll be looking at this verse, but we'll be jumping around a little bit. So, How many saw that movie, Castaway? Remember that movie, Tom Hanks? <laughs> At the end of the movie, Castaway, Tom Hanks is standing at a crossroad, isn't he? When you're at a crossroads, you are at a place where you have to make a decision. You know, which way should I go? You know, I just graduated from high school. Now, what do I do? What college should I attend? Whom should I marry? What should I do vocationally? Churches have decisions to make. You know, how do we know this or that is the will of God? Because realistically, all of us, young and old, individuals and families and a church will eventually come to this crossroads. Choices, decisions need to be made. And if you're a Christian, it boils down to, God, what do you want? What is your will? So my question today is, can we know God's will? Can we know what God wants? You know, what guy or gal to marry? What college to attend? Should I change jobs or locations? What should Calvary Church do in the future? Does God have a will and can we know it? Think with me now. I mean, reason with me a little bit. If God has a will and if God wants me to know his will, don't you think he would be more than happy to reveal that to me? To reveal that will to me. Now, if God does reveal his will, where do you suppose or where is the most obvious place he would reveal it? You're right. In the Bible. uh, God's written revelation. God's written word. You see, in Jeremiah's day, Jerusalem had fallen away from the Lord and God gave the prophet Jeremiah a word. He gave that prophet a word for these people, and it's a word for us today. Let the Lord speak to you today through the prophet Jeremiah and from the dusty pages of the Old Testament as he shouts, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it. Have you ever asked God to guide you? Of course you have. Have you ever asked God to reveal his will to you for the ancient paths, for the good way? You know, I think it's time for those who claim the name of Christ to go back to the Bible, 
to go to the Word of God, the ancient paths. No, I'm not limiting God. God can do anything He wants to do, whenever He wants to do it. What I'm saying is this. God's written Word is God's revealed will. Hey, do you know what God's will is for your life? Or do you want to know what God's will is for your life? Ask for the ancient paths. (laughs) Ask where the good way is and walk in it. Today I want to share with you, I think, five basic truths from the Bible that I can say are absolutely God's will. Because it says it right in the text. It is God's will. You know, that wasn't hard for me to find. You just go to a concordance and look up will. Five basic truths that I can say are absolutely God's will. Basic truth number one. First and foremost, it is God's will that you be saved. Oh, you say that's... I knew that. Well, yeah, I mean, it says 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting or not willing that any should perish. And then 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants, what does he want? He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants you to be saved. You know, one of my favorite stories is about a cat burglar that was out on the prowl one night, and he was circling the block, and he saw this house. It was kind of dark. He thought, well, maybe I could sneak in there, and he parked his car across the street and got out of the car and slithered across the street, went up to the door and cut a hole in the glass and somehow picked the lock, and he got into this house. It was completely dark, and he heard a voice. I see you, and Jesus sees you. I mean, he was scared. And he started to sweat, and so he got a hanky out and started, you know, Wiping his brow. He heard the voice again. I see you and Jesus sees you. And he was scared. He managed to get a flashlight out of his pocket. And he was shining it around the room. And he shined it in a corner. And there was a parrot. And he was so happy. And the parrot said, I see you and Jesus sees you. And then he moved the flashlight down. And there was this huge Doberman pincher with his ears cocked. And the parrot said, sick him, Jesus. A lot of people think we have a sickum Jesus. We don't have a sickum Jesus. We have a saving Jesus. A lot of people think we have a, a sickum Jesus. We have a Jesus that died on the cross. A lot of people think we have a sickum Jesus. We have a Jesus that rose from the dead. And the will of God for you is not that you perish. The will of God for you is not that you go astray forever. The will of God for you is not that you be cut off from eternal life. The will of God for you is not that you spend forever in hell. The will of God for you is that you be saved. Have you come to a place in your life where you recognize your need for the Lord? And maybe you prayed something like this, Jesus, I am so sorry You know, you haven't been first in my life. I've done things, I've thought things, I've said things I'm ashamed of, and I need your forgiveness. And I thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe you are the sinless son of God who died in my place, and I trust in what you've done for me on the cross and not what I claim to do for you. I recognize and I believe that you rose from the dead and that you're alive today, speaking to my heart today, standing at my heart's door, knocking, waiting to be invited in, not just as resident, but as president. And so please, Jesus, come into my heart and life and 
Change me from the inside out and live in me, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Are you saved? You see, God's will begins with salvation. And I'll tell you what, if you have never come to Christ, you will never begin to know, really, the will of God. You're not even plugged into God. You need to be saved. You need to know God personally through a simple faith in Jesus. Surrender to him today. You say, Dave, I'm saved, but I still stumble. Join the club. So basic truth number two, it's God's will that you not only be saved, but you'll also be spirit-filled, spirit-filled. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, making the most of every opportunity, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. You know, you don't have much time. Your life is like a vapor. The days are evil. There's not much time. And on that basis, the Apostle Paul writes, therefore, Therefore, don't be foolish, you know, don't be stupid, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what does he write next? You say, what's Paul saying? What is the will of the Lord? Read the next phrase, the next verse. And be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, what? Be filled. It's in the present tense, continuous action. Be being filled. With the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit, I know it is God's will for your life that you be Spirit-filled. I know that that's His will. Well, what does that mean? Do you see the contrast? You know, when somebody gets drunk with wine, they submit themselves to the control of an agent that's in them. They're like under the influence. They're intoxicated. And people who are drunk can't control themselves. And they yield control to an inside agent. Lots of folks say, I need more of God, right? I need more of the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit needs to get more of you. God needs to get more of you. You can't get half of God. Are you kidding? You either get all of God or you get nothing. Either you're pregnant or you're not, right? Now, the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying that as a Christian, you need to yield control of your life to an inside agent only not to something like alcohol, but to the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And that word filled, it means dominated. It means controlled. The word is used in the Gospels when it says, so-and-so is filled with rage. So-and-so is filled with wrath. So-and-so is filled with madness. It means that your wrath or your rage or your madness actually controls you. Does God's Spirit control you or to something else i remember the first time i kissed a girl you know out of control right (laughs) you know who influences your life i mean whose influence are you under are you under the influence of jesus christ or something else are you controlled are you dominated by the spirit of god You say, what are the results of a spirit-filled life? Well, if you read on in Ephesians 5, it talks about speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It talks about being thankful. It talks about relationships between husbands and wives and children and parents and slaves and masters. Now, in Colossians, 
The very same results are listed. It's the same exact identical list, but they are the result of Colossians 3.16, which says, let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, being filled with the Holy Spirit and letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, they are synonymous. You want to be filled with the Spirit of God? Saturate yourself with the presence of Christ. Study the word. The more I focus on Jesus in the word, the more the thoughts of God just soak my mind. The more the word of God controls me, the more yielded I am to him. I used to enjoy sin a lot, just like a lot of you folks, right? The pleasures of sin, the Bible says, right? The pleasures of sin. We all enjoy a little bit of it here and there. Some of us more than others. I used to get into a good sin and enjoy it, whatever it was, and then I started to study the Bible. And now I can't even get into a good sin without thinking of like 14 Bible verses. <laughs> and I just get going, I hear, thou shalt not, you know? And that's the genius of studying Scripture. Didn't David write, you know, in Psalm 119, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? That I might not sin against thee. That's the King James. The spirit-filled life is synonymous with letting the word of Christ just saturate you. Charles Spurgeon, preacher from days gone by, said you ought to study the Bible until your blood is bibbling. You ought to see the world through chapter and verse eyes. It is God's will that you be saved. It is God's will that you be spirit-filled. I know some of you are saying, well, is it really God's will to marry Susie or Sally or go to this school or that school? Does God want me to change jobs or move here or move there or get a new car or do this and that? And yet you've never yielded control of your life to the Spirit of God. So here's what we're doing. We're asking God to reveal a will that's not revealed while we're failing to obey a will that is revealed. Why should God reveal anything else when we don't even obey what we've already got? God's will, saved, spirit-filled, and the third basic truth is sanctified. Write it down. It's God's will that you be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, here it goes. It gets very practical. Listen, it says right at the beginning, it is God's will. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, pure and holy. What, is, you know, what do you mean by that? Well, keep reading. It says that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And so the word for sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar? Pornea? It can mean anything from bisexual, homosexual, bestiality, to anything else that is perverse. It can mean a gaunt of sexual activity outside God's perfect design for marriage. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's will for you is that you not have sex before marriage. That you not have extramarital sex. That you stay away from sexual immorality, this pornea, that you stay away from pornography, kind of like the little Sunday school song that we all learned, right? Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little hands what you do. Psalm 101 verse 2. 
I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. Saved. Spirit-filled. Sanctified. And the fourth basic truth. It is God's will that you submit. It's God's will that you submit. First Peter 2.13, it says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now listen to this. Here it goes again. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. In other words, if you're a believer, act like it. Submit to the law, to those in authority over you, like mom and dad and you know, civil authorities. Let me read the next two verses. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Let's face it, we live in a post-Christian culture. It's a fact. It's an ungodly world. An ungodly system. And we need to be exemplary people. We need to be good citizens. We need to be submissive. People want to criticize Christianity. The world want, uh, waits kind of like vultures for Christians to mess up, for Christians to stumble so that they can get on their case. And what's Christianity's poorest testimony? Christians. <laughs> Guilty as charged. That's why I need Jesus. Billy Graham was on the plane one time and a man was stone drunk. And this drunk came up to Billy Graham and said, Are you Billy Graham? I can't tell you how much you've done for me. Christian man was driving down the street and the guy behind him was pounding his horn, you know, beep, 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 real irritating. This Christian man was starting to get a little bit ticked off. I mean, even Christians has, have limits, right? Beep, 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 beep. Finally, this Christian man had enough. He stopped the car. He jumps out of his car, marches up to this car making all the racket, and he says, what in the blank is going on? And the guy in the car said, well, I saw your bumper sticker, honk, if you love Jesus. I mean, the guy was just loving Jesus, man. Maybe that bumper sticker should have said, you know, tithe if you love Jesus. Anybody can honk, right? Somewhere along the line, the pattern of our life ought to match the message, submissive to the state rules, those in authority, parents. I know there are times when we need to obey God rather than man. You know, just like the apostles did in the New Testament, they were told not to talk about Jesus. And Peter said, no, we got to obey God rather than man. But in general, submit. So if you're looking for something specific in your life about God's will, but you're looking at pornography, and you're sleeping around, and you're not a good citizen or an employee, or you're rebellious at home, or you're not the kind of person you ought to be in terms of human relations, would you start there, please? And then worry about the next step, because that is the revealed will of God. That is revealed as God's will. Saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, and the fifth basic truth 
And you're going to like this one. It is God's will that you suffer. Yuck. (laughs) It's God's will that you suffer. I mean, Psalm 119, verse 67. This is an added scripture if you want to write it down. Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. Listen to 1 Peter 4.16. However, if you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, for it is time for judgment to begin in the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And then listen to this. So then those who suffer according to what? Those who suffer according to the will of God, to God's will, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. We must take a stand in this world. We're supposed to be salt and light. We must stand up for what's right and what's true and just let the chips fall. We need to dare to be different. Sometimes people get mad. Sometimes people get angry. You might not be the most popular person around. I mean, look what they did to Jesus. The Bible says Jesus learned from what he suffered. He learned obedience from what he suffered. The Apostle Paul said to young Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That doesn't mean you need to be a Christian jerk. I mean, if you refuse to participate in evil, whatever it is, you might be looked on as a prude. It's almost uncool to be a virgin these days, is it not? Kids in college have tremendous pressure to cave, to put Jesus on the shelf, and to sleep in on Sunday. They say there's no education like adversity. Again, from Psalm 119, only this time verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted. So that I might learn your decrees. It was good for me to be afflicted. So that I might learn your decrees. Jesus said the world hated me. It's going to hate you too. You could receive a little criticism. I mean if you stand for the moral absolutes of the Bible. You might be looked on as a (gasps) fundamentalist. (gasps) What does that mean? That dreaded word. It conjures up images of uneducated bigots, backward Bible-thumping preachers, and the Ayatollah Khomeini and Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein and the dictator from North Korea and China and Putin. Hey, you're on solid ground. Listen, you are on solid ground when you're standing on God's word. Never be embarrassed about the Bible. Never be embarrassed about the Bible. It's been around a long time, friends, a real long time. It has stood the test of time and the investigation of many, many critics. The ancient paths, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Any attack on the Bible is like shooting peas at the rock of Gibraltar. And I think that's what our VBS is all about when they're talking about archaeological evidence. There's not been one shred of archaeological evidence that has contradicted anything in Scripture. It's only validated it. If you suffer because you love Jesus, if you suffer because you want to do God's will, that is God's will. 
In this world, there will always be critics. There will always be mockers. There will always be persecutors. But it is God's will that you make the gospel an issue, right? We're supposed to go and to preach the gospel to the all creation. If you stand for nothing, you're going to fall for anything. What are you standing for? Saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, suffering, That's God's will for you. You say, Dave, but you didn't tell me that if I should go to this school or that school or marry this guy or that girl or buy this house or rent an apartment or buy a Ford or a Chevy or change jobs or relocate or give me something practical, Dave. You're just giving me that Bible stuff. Okay, I've got something. Listen, you know what the next thing is if you're saved, uh, sanctified, spirit-filled, submissive, And suffering, whatever you want. I knew you'd like that. (laughs) I mean, whatever you want. Listen, if you have taken care of these things, who do you think is running your wants? God is. The psalmist said, delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you what? The desire of your heart. He didn't say he'd fulfill the desire. He said he would put it there. The majority of people here at Calvary, I think, have a desire to know Christ and to make him known. That's our mission statement. Psalm 143, verse 10, David prayed, Lord, teach me to do thy will. He didn't say, teach me thy will. No. He said, teach me to do thy will. When you really give the Lord you, then you'll know what to do. Have you made that decision? You're at a crossroads. What move will you make today? Years ago, there was a man who made a painting of a young man who was playing chess with the devil. And this painting caused a lot of attention because wherever it hung, people would come up to the painting and just stand and stare at it because this young man, he was fool enough, really, to play chess with the devil. And as you looked at the pieces on the board, he was trapped. And the title of the painting was Checkmate. And the look on the young man's face, he was pale. And you could see his eyes were all tensed up. And there was like sweat on his forehead. And this young man had the look of terror, like entrapment on his face. And people watched it with such sympathy. And then there was the devil And he had this sinister sneer of hell on his face and the gleam of, you know, I got you in his eyes. And the devil was so wickedly awful and they hated the devil for it. But wherever this painting hung, people would stand and watch it. And they would finally kind of go away in sympathy but deeply moved because this young man was fool enough to play chess with the devil. But this painting hung in a London art gallery one day and In this London gallery, it attracted a great crowd. But that day in the gallery, an old white-haired man, a chess master, who had won world championship matches, came in. And this elderly man came up, and he saw the painting. And, you know, he, too, was caught up in the conflict. And he, too, felt such, you know, sympathy for this young man. And the old man dropped his eyes to the chessboard, and he studied it for a few minutes. And all of a sudden, the... The old man yelled out, young man! I mean, the man saw something nobody else saw. He yelled out, young man! 
You've got one move left. You've got one move left. I can save you yet. And maybe you're here today and you haven't made that move to Christ. And you know it. You've been living for self, for sin, for Satan, for this world. Oh, you're not a bad person. But Jesus has not been first in your life. And the devil's already got a sneer on his lips and the gleam of hell in his eye. And it's like he's saying, I've got you. I have got you with alcohol. I have got you with guilt and shame. I have got you with apathy. I've got you with indifference. I've got you with memories of abuse. I've got you with pornography. I've got you with premarital and extramarital sex. I've got you with what you think is goodness. And he's got you, and you've almost given up. You say, you know, I just can't make it. I can't change. And you're just ready to cave, to give in, to throw in the towel. You're trapped. You don't get this gospel of grace very well. Well, I want to tell you today that you have got one move left. One move left, and the Lord can save you yet. You've got one move left. Realistically, a lot of moves could be made today. Would you just bow your heads with me in prayer? And Before we pray, just let me say, maybe you're not saved. Maybe you need to come to Christ today. That's why you're here. You know, ask him to forgive you and to come into your life. Some of you are not spirit-filled. The word of God has no part of your life. You have no devotional life, and it's reflected in your relationships. And you need to say, God, I want you not only as resident but as president. I want you to call the shots, you to be the boss. Some here are not sanctified. You're living in sexual sin right now. And you know it's wrong. And you need to get rid of those magazines and get off the internet and get out of that relationship. Some of you are not submissive. You're rebellious to like parents, teachers. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. You need to ask God for a soft, submissive heart. Some of you have never suffered for Christ. You've never identified with Jesus publicly. You don't take a stand morally for what's right. What kind of move will you make today? Maybe God is calling you to some ministry, paid or unpaid. Maybe some here just need to pray, Lord, teach me to do thy will. Spend a little time now in silence, you and God, and just make that move in your heart, whatever it is. Somebody said, you can't go back and make a brand new start, my friend, but anyone can start from now and make a brand new end. And if you've made a move today, I want to ask you to do something. While we're singing this last chorus, I want to ask you to get out of your seat, come down and just shake my hand.
And then you can either return to your seat or just spend a moment or two at the altar to seal that commitment. Maybe you want to go up and sign that sheet under the cross and say, you know, I want to be baptized as a believer. I'm going to identify publicly with Jesus in this way. You say, why are you asking us to do that, Dave? It seems kind of showy to come to the front. I say, why not? We come to the front for other things like baptisms and communion and confirmation and marriages. And you're going to be up here for your funeral. Did you know that? Listen, there's something about publicly identifying with Jesus in the New Testament. When Jesus called people, he called them publicly. So if you made a move today, while we sing, I want to shake your hand, or you can spend some time up here praying, or you can go right back to your seat, or go sign uh, that baptism thing. So Lord, if there's been any commitments made today, I pray that you would seal them through the Holy Spirit. Lord, make yourself real to each one of us, Lord, as we just humbly want to follow you. So just draw people to yourself, Lord, and in Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to sing. Let's just pray for a second. God, we just thank you for the way you draw us with your love, not with condemnation, not with guilt, not with shame. But Lord, it's your love that draws us to the cross and to yourself. And Lord, I pray that you would seal any commitments that have been made today, whether people came up to the front or not, Lord, I just pray that you would seal that in our hearts and that when we walk in here, walk out of here, we'd just be a little bit more different, Lord, a little bit uh, like either a new life, being born again, or just walking closer with you, wanting to follow the will that's been revealed in your word in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>